Hey, with dogs barking in the background, you are looking live at Southside Saxivus uh, celebration. It is week two. It is the one you've perhaps marked on the calendar on January 1st, maybe, because uh, you knew there were going to be grievances if you had a feeling about this team the way many of us did, even the most optimistic and hopeful ones. Uh, it is the airing of grievances. We have five grievers, uh, including myself here, but I'm going to kick it first to Father Soxibus himself so he can just give us a little bit of an overview of what you're about to hear, what we're writing about on site, what you'll hear on a podcast in a day or so. Give me a little background on this special week of Soxibus, Tommy Barbie. I mean, this, this is the moment that you all have been waiting for where... Um... We are letting loose with all of the stuff that we've all been, you know, complaining about since the beginning of the year on Slack and Twitter and everywhere else. Let it loose here. Um, there, there's a lot to pick from. I, I know I had a hard time focusing on just one thing because there, there's a lot to choose from this year. Um, but very excited to read what everybody else had to say about their respective grievances and hear a little bit about it today. Uh, that's Father Soxivus. He has put this together for us now for uh, his third year. The <laughs> the results of this season have got progressively worse. <laughs> Sorry about the jinx, White Sox. Maybe you ought to give us some respect uh, because uh, year one, we were complaining about a playoff team and Tony LaRusso and other stuff. Uh, year two, just last year, a 500 team, which seems, boy, <laughs> such a distant, pleasant. I would take memory. it now. Yeah. Yes, we would. Uh, and this year, of course, well, you know, the, the, the grievances write themselves. Uh, before we went live on, uh, well, at least Twitter and YouTube, Facebook seems to be uh, dragging and, and lingering and, and cranky, but uh, hello, all of you out there in those two spots, at least. Uh, we were deciding it might be hard to even uh, pick a grievance per month with a year like this. We're talking about a 101 loss team. Uh, we're talking about uh, fake manager search, uh, fake GM search, fake retention of manager at the very least. Uh, <laughs> shooting in the ballpark. Um, jumping the market to sign an abuser. Uh, and those are just the ones right before we went live that I could just jot down here in my notes. There are plenty more. They're going to come up in the airing of grievances here on this very special day of Soxivus. Um, I think I do need to kick it back to Father Soxivus to lead us off. Uh, he's the one who wrote first, and he's the one who's got some things to say. Give me a grievance, Tommy Barbie. I, I had to start at the top um, for anyone that has followed. Most of my writing has been very focused on Rick Hahn just because yes, Jerry's a cheap bastard, but you can't tell me there isn't a way to build a roster that would be more successful than what they were. He got shown the door. Kenny Williams got shown the door. There was that 0.5 second sliver of optimism that we all shared as Sox fans before he's like, and Chris Getz, here we go. Um, I just, I don't know what Jerry Reinsdorf is doing, but um, he has really 
done a number on making sure that he alienates himself and the organization from the rest of the fan base in a way that I think can only be compared to Dollar Bill Wirtz mm -hmm. um, with the Blackhawks. And for those of you that are too young to know anything about that, before Chelsea Dagger was a thing, there was a very, very talented Blackhawks roster that um, couldn't be watched on TV. Um, <laughs> you couldn't um, even really get tickets to games very easily. Uh, they traded players for no reason. Um, just lots of bad stuff. And that was all not even including just him being an overall cheap bastard. So when he died, all of the old Harton Blackhawks fans came out of the woodwork to be like, okay, we can actually be fans of this team again because he actively traded away the most popular players because they were too popular. So now here we are where you have all this fallout with Benetti where there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason other than Jerry Reinsdorf didn't think he was funny and Brooks Boyer didn't like that he was popular and all of that. You have all this weirdness with Nashville, which should be a non-story, but it's like Reinsdorf is trying to make it a story. So then we have to talk about it and it's, that doesn't even include the fact that he promoted Chris Getz, who doesn't have a good track record. And if you want to dig deeper into his track record, it gets more problematic with the Omar Vizquel sexual harassment, with the just total lack of development from what was supposed to be one of the top um, you know, prospect groupings in Major League Baseball. You have the shooting at the ballpark that's just been tucked away hidden nobody's allowed to talk about it seemingly okay with um you know the starting pitcher number five that we won't necessarily name names that randomly showed up and it's like all right you're gonna flip him at the trade deadline didn't do that okay you're gonna flip him at the non-tender date didn't do that either and there was no purpose to doing that and it's just a lot of really weird stuff and interestingly this is the most public he's been where he's doing press conferences he was at the winter meetings before meeting with the mayor of nashville and talking to the press and it's like he's out enough to know that people don't like him but he just doesn't seem to get it or care and it's just been a very very fascinating year where I just think he's actively tanking his organization and his franchise where typically if nothing else, he's cared about the brand that he represented in the white Sox and the bulls, never mind how awful and messed up and weird politics were with both organizations the brand always came first and he always recognized when that was a problem. Now he just seems to embrace it. And Tommy, if we follow the, the parallel or the comparison you're drawing and, and talking Blackhawks for a time that might've been hopeful because you could just say, well, then the a son or daughter takes over and becomes extremely popular and the White Sox win two or three championships. But you know, the, 
the Rocky Worst story ended really badly, <laughs> and he's a, he and he actually was yeah. very, he wasn't even a victim. He was very ugly about it. Ugly about uh, it. Yeah. So I mean, we can't even say, well, okay, let's just wait until you know the uh, it's inherited. And I mean, and, and uh, carrying that further, like Michael Reinsdorf hasn't exactly done <laughs> a great job with the Bulls either. So I don't think there's. At a least lot he keeps his there. mouth shut. But yeah, yeah when that's, that's the true. Thing you're saying about an owner, not so great. Um, all right, that was a, a, a wide-ranging uh, grievance and a totally legit. I expect all the other grievances to be this wide-ranging as well. Uh, going in the line in the batting order that we have in our story on site uh, that will connect to this live broadcast and then the podcast we make out of this uh, live piece as well. It's going to be Melissa Sage Bolenbach giving us a little bit of a very holiday-spirited uh, grievance. Welcome, Melissa and Talk to us a little bit about what uh, what you're going to air here. Um, well, so in my story, I kind of just basically it was a, a kind of a lack of joy overall that the White Sox don't bring me anymore. Um, but on the podcast, I want to like specifically talk about something that really irritates the crap out of me. And it goes back to hiring Pedro Grafal and all we're hearing about how he's a baseball man and everybody loves him and he's all about communication. He's all about fundamentals and everything. And I go to spring training and I try to buy into it and I'm watching it. And I'm like, yeah, they're really playing, you know, practicing all these little things. And then the season starts and I don't know if I've seen a less fundamental baseball team on the field <laughs> in my life than played the season. It was terrible. They weren't good at anything closely resembling what a fund fundamental baseball team looks like. And so for me, I just, I don't know. I, it just really, really made me mad that we we're just fed this and that, you know, there's just so much publicity about it and every interview Pedro is just going on and on and talking about it. And then to like have no element of it whatsoever, just really, irritated me this season. So there's my specific one for the season. Let's drill down into Pedro as well, where there's that aspect, totally legit. But how about the fact that the guy was hired to be able to relate to players, to, to, to manage players, and he has proven to be, I would argue, I mean, at least certainly based on results, I'd argue worse than Tony La Russa at that. He's, he's a guy who's very willing to trash his rookies, not to say based on performance, maybe it was always unjustified, but veterans always get a pass. Uh, the strange thing where he's calling his one player, Luis Robert Jr., uh, out to the point where the press box is aware that he was um, benched for not hustling. And this is your MVP guy. Uh, so on the field is, is, is awful. And you might be able to say, well, he doesn't have much to work with. The thing he could definitely control is how he relates to the media, how he relates to his own players, how he chooses to to to, to trash guys, to to support guys. He seems to be, that seems to be the worst aspect of the job he's done, and that he would seem to be hired because that would be the thing he'd do best. And then he's given a free pass and like, yeah, we're firing you know our front office people. Yet, yep, he's going to be back. Like, not even evaluating that, giving you know gets giving it the time of day to even think about whether or not to keep him on is just like a huge middle finger to us fans. And yeah, it's pisses me off. I expect I just, the answer is 
No, oh, I, Tommy, was, I expect yeah. the answer is no, but does anybody recall, uh, I'll let you jump in, Tommy, um, mm-hmm. what was, what, what gets said um, in, I mean, there was nothing specific that he said, this is the reason why we're, I mean, even a dumb reason. Yeah. Was there even a, an actual reason given other than, oh, yeah, don't we believe in him or something? Not, not that I can recall. And I watched the press conference and I covered it for the site. And yeah, no, it was just a, like a blanket. <laughs> yeah, he's coming back. Like, of course. Like, why wouldn't he come back? We don't back? want to bother clearing out the manager's office. It's yeah, a lot of work. Just let him stay. Job. Why would we bother? I, uh, I just don't know. No, I just don't know what he does well to, to that very question. Like, what does he bring to the table? He He doesn't handle pressure well obviously in terms of dealing or interacting with players he doesn't have any sort of strategy um to you know jackie's point in the comments he talked about culture the whole damn season and it seemed to get worse not better where you had reports of guys punching each other in the locker room and it seemed like every other day there was some random wild story coming out about how the team doesn't like each other. And he acted like everything was fine until gets took over and said, I'm getting rid of, you know, 80% of the roster. And Griffol was like, Oh yeah, I, you know, I thought the team was a problem. And it's like, where the hell was this energy in, in March? It, you know, like if you feel that way about the team, you should have enough influence to say something and do something about it rather than just be like, Oh yeah, everything's fine. We're going to work through it. We're going to, you know, bunt and hit and run and do all the small ball things that we're supposed to do. Cause that's what we want to be. Like he never had any cohesive strategy. Think about the fact that re- recall how up in arms we were over your mean hitting a home run with a three Oh count and how badly Tony LaRusa handled it. Yet we were told uh, the, to connect it on it. They got along. There's no problem with it. Of course, that's probably BS, but that's what we were told. Let's just believe. A player never left the organization. Even your mean, you know, again, who had who was juggling some some issues, but even your mean, nobody left the organization saying they're lazy. There's no accountability. I mean, this is this is like bad news bears. I don't even think it's bad news bears stuff. I think they may have had more discipline than the Chicago White Sox in 2023. So for all the criticism Tony LaRusa deservedly earned, I cannot believe I seem to be a backhand supporting Tony LaRusa twice already in our little live show here. Ouch. But comparatively, Pedro Grafal had never had a handle, it seemed like from the start. And he was given the keys, given the authority, and he just, he dropped the keys and no accountability. it's it's sickening. That's why we have to do. That's why we're doing these grievances, and it's why we're all sad and we we see no light at the end of the tunnel. Well, on that note, um, Dante Jones, uh, you're batting third. Uh, Crystal Keefe is uh, is hitting cleanup here. Uh, Dante, give me a grievance. We'll take a break for podcast sake, and uh, then we're going to get to Crystal, Brett, and you know free time, which actually probably won't end until 2024. Sorry, everybody. Uh, Okay, Dante, what you got for us? All right, so my biggest one I wrote about was how irrelevant the White Sox are, because that's what this team is. Irrelevant. They don't matter. I made a joke early in the year when the White Sox were facing the Diamondbacks about how the Diamondbacks were seemingly the most irrelevant team in baseball. 
because you know at the time at least people talked about the White Sox because they were shit. But now the Diamondbacks, all these months later, have made the World Series, and the White Sox have done some cleaning house, but not much yet. Like yeah, the players are gone in front office. We got some front office people gone, but like they haven't done anything that makes me think, oh, they might be competitive next year. And that's hilarious to me because we had Chris Guest and Pedro and all these people, you know, talking, 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 talking about how next year is gonna be not gonna be a rebuilding year. And then slowly it becomes we might have to do a little retooling, we might have to do a little this down the third. And you know, there's no like there's no conversations about relevant free agents being linked to the White Sox. Shohei Otani, they told you that they weren't gonna go for Shohei Otani. Cody Bellinger, that ain't happening. Maybe, maybe in 2021, if he was available back then, it was a it could have been a thought. Any big name pictures that might get traded? Nah, not not gonna be coming to the White Sox, but they might be leaving the White Sox. <laughs> the biggest person that the White Sox have acquired this year, what Matt Stassi, Max Stassi, I guess. <laughs> so ouch. That's where we are now. Yeah, relevance would be like relevance would be a nice start mm-hmm. and i don't see that happening anytime soon also tommy i can tell you what pedro does good from what i can tell from what everybody says at least he's attractive that's all <laughs> he got yeah there was so much excitement when he was high <laughs> i mean sure we we could be hot and awful i, I guess that's yeah, a brand sure. right <laughs> but it's all relative we were coming off tony Larusa, so he looked like an adonis compared to what we were dealing with yeah that's what we all look like guys compared to yeah. mr tlr it's like it's like chris gets man he's doing a he's doing a pretty stand-up job with some front office hires and uh you know some solid moves he got five players mm-hmm. for him but i'm just like well okay relatively speaking i guess that's true but when you're comparing it to just a black hole yeah i mean imagine yeah, anything like, would look good yeah also i love jackie's just like is he really though is he really hot? Because I don't know. I'm a straight dude. I don't know if he is or isn't. But I mean, I remember the I remember the comments when he first got hired and was walking around the city and people were, you know, liking him, loving him. And then the baseball started happening and Pedro was the leader of irrelevancy. And now we can't even get a top four pick in the draft because we just have no type of luck. Yeah. It's tough to be handsome when you're piloting a 101 loss team and not even smoothly and with no promise and hope for the future. Uh, okay, I promise Crystal's not muted. We will hear from her. Uh, for the podcast sake, we're going to take a break. Uh, if you're watching this live, and goodness gracious, I hope you are, the numbers appear to be overwhelming. So uh, we're, I don't know, it's free time for us for like 10 seconds. So, you know, do whatever you need to do um costume change i mean it's all out there for you for the five or ten seconds uh you have we will be back we promise we have more live grievances to discuss hang with us hey welcome back my name is brett valentini no introductions for the lot you know we go live it's just like well we're right in the middle it's like live news event happening it's like a house blowing up well the white Sox 2023 is sort of like a house blowing up right well we were doing spot news so no real introductions let me uh try to remedy that this will become socks populi uh, podcast number 166 right now we're live i think this is our sixth live event you know no draft to cover uh no whatnot so why not go live for grievances and with me on this grievances podcast it's our third and it should technically be the lengthiest maybe we are actually having just to edit for time because we could actually 
go on forever with these grievances. Is Dante Jones, who you just heard, uh, heard from uh, before the break, father socks of us himself, gave us all a scare, sweeping in right as we went to air. Oh my God, that was that was a classic move. Uh, uh, Tommy Barbie, uh, Melissa Sage Bolenbach in front of the Christmas tree, uh, grieving, grieving and grieving heartily as a fan just shy of my tenure as a White Sox fan. So, uh, oh boy, we've got the tree rings to prove how much pain this team has inflicted on us. And who we'll hear from now uh, in terms of grievances, it's Crystal O'Keefe. I know one of her grievances she probably will not mention is just simply White Sox not being smart enough to hire her for any number of jobs, including simply opening bottles to prevent injury. But Crystal, take it away, uh, grieve for us. So my biggest grievance this year was the whole cats will fix some terrible, terrible pitching that was displayed all year long. Um, you know, when you're getting rid of Lucas and you're getting rid of Lance and you have Dylan Cease as your only hope in pitching, you're doing something wrong, especially when we all saw the Dylan Cease regression coming. I mean, he was almost Cy Young last year, so we knew it wasn't going to be a good year for him. Um, I mean, again, employing an abuser was terrible. There was no bullpen to be seen. Um, they've like killed all of their pitching. Um, again, they really just shit the bed with Michael Kopech, the whole getting him back to the starter role. Um, it was just embarrassing to watch when Cat's yeah, love is broken. Like, why is he still around? Because he has done nothing but be Lucas Gilito's friend and old coach. That was it. He didn't prove anything at all this season. He really didn't prove much last season either. And I don't, I don't know what's going on. I mean, they're they're professionals, and I don't even know. They just oh, Ethan Katz makes me really angry at this point. It's an and iPad that he just walks around with him at all times. And yes, it makes iPad him look and like ten of these shoes on. Like that's all he does. And I just yeah, he's back. I just don't understand what was going on. Why he is still there to this day? Why he hasn't been fired? Because if you're trading half of your pitching off to teams that then like send them to completely opposite teams you're doing something wrong and they don't acquire any decent pitchers because again there is nothing in the farm system right now <laughs> jackie ethan katz is hot though but he can be pretty all he wants but he's terrible terrible person um yeah that was really incoherent but i was really mad at ethan katz all season I think it's fair I, to say. I just appreciate that you called him out because we yeah. need more yeah. people to call him out. I, I feel like he's been flying under the radar for a, a while now. Yeah, and, and not... is attractive. People give attractive people a pass. <laughs> I don't. Jackie's so honest. She's like, I don't care if you're hot. You suck. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, just don't, I don't understand what he was doing because everyone was so bad this year. Yeah. And obviously, you know, freak accidents and things like that happen. We didn't have Garrett Crochet. We didn't have Liam Hendricks kind of backing this team up. But again, there was not a single pitcher this year that I could say had a successful season and a good ERA at the end of the day. Well, you could argue too, Crystal. One, unfortunately, is the guy who shouldn't have been on the team in the first place. Clearly, he did way better than anyone would have thought. 
he could have done and even how his peripherals were looking early in the season it was like okay this is a house of cards it's going to collapse uh and, and it didn't which just made the season even more painful and then the rookie gregory santos i think whether that had anything to do with cats okay you can point to those two guys but that still leaves like 20 you know 20 other pitchers uh you know who didn't you know who didn't get it done and uh you know that's you know tommy backs it i think it's it's fair to say i mean not just this season he's been a mixed bag and i know that's what coaches generally are i mean if anybody is that great a success um i don't know they'd be managing or they'd be owning a team you know whatever they'd have a lifetime contract like don cooper like the interesting to look at don cooper and you know uh you know carlos Rodon, of course but then there's been a lot of i mean lucas g i mean what more can you say but the guy he was sort of hired to like mentor and then spread the magic to the rest of the staff you know pitched by and large poorly under his tutelage i know there's a little rally in 2023 uh, but certainly 2022 was. I mean, he was on fun. three teams. <laughs> and and yeah. even like, the third team was like, yeah, nah, just go. Like, yeah, like, as much as I love Lucas, like he was not good. No. And Ethan Katz has not been good at his job since he got here. Like I'm not crediting him with getting Dylan Cease to be good because we see, we saw that Dylan Cease had the tools. I'm not going to give him credit for anything because lately he's been doing nothing for us at all. He, he's just here because he's pretty and he has friends. <laughs> well, I'll certainly defend him more than that. He does have he does have success, and I don't think it's – oh, Dylan Cease, you know, got a little more efficient and was a signing pitcher just uh, by chance. It's certainly the Rodon turnaround, I will I will connect directly to Cass. We have actually – you know, we have actual evidence of that. But that said, I mean, I'll jump on the train and say, come on, this guy needs to, to – to show us more certainly there should have been more successes even in this bleak 101 lost season than than what we saw uh there should have been more than just a rookie who became like i guess the, the closer in training not yeah. uh, to get excited about certainly i mean it's bad when tuki Toussaint is mm-hmm. one of your best pitchers that mm-hmm. you like you watch his games you're like you know what i can sort of at least rely on him i can rely on tuki Toussaint, who was washed before he got here mm-hmm yeah, but I think the other thing too is that as a major league pitching coach, like you have to continue to adjust whatever it is that's working with those pitchers, Be- and that's where I get frustrated. Is that like yes, Cease was remarkable that year, but you know hitters are going to start adjusting to it based on the tape, based on his tendencies, what he's throwing, what he's doing, and I never saw Cats or anyone internally talk about here's what's happening to try to combat that and it was the same thing with giolito before he got traded where it was just like we know his mechanics aren't quite right but we're trying to fix them but same time his velocity was down which has been a constant theme with all of the pitchers in the white Sox organization and if you're going to have down velocity you have to have movement or control or something else to help offset that velocity going down at the rate that it was going. And none of those guys had it. So they're just throwing these flat pitches and that's why they've, they've been giving up so many home runs. And I know he knows that because he has the iPad in front of him at all times, but it just, it never seemed like he knew what the next step was. 
I don't know that I would trust him to coach high school baseball, like a pitching coach for high school. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, the thing is, like, he might have the iPad in front of him all the time, but we see that Javier Baez has the iPad in front of him all the time, and he doesn't become a better hitter. He's just looking at his highlights. He's just looking at his four highlights. Well, he's trying to see how far out of the strike zone he needs to swing the next time to make contact. Sorry, Jackie in the comments said exactly what I was going to say. She just beat me to it. I was going to say, what is he watching on the iPad? Is it Bluey? She beat me to it. But, like, we don't know what he's watching on there. He could be watching anything. He could be watching dog videos. And there was an interview with the abuser, you know, so trying to even think, oh, can we give Katz credit for what he did this this year? There was an interview with Redacted and he it was kind of he kind of said it quickly, but he was talking about his people, like (laughs) his people. So not even Katz. It was like his own people that he had helping him make his comeback. Like, so even he couldn't help redacted and he ended up his own I mean, people help him since we're talking about redacted i'd rather redacted and redacted's people stay over there mm-hmm. and not get anywhere near the rest of the team because this team is already toxic enough i don't want to just absolutely hate every single thing about them instead of 60 percent of things about them yeah well i'm i after that i'm 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 with Crystal. Yeah, there's, there's, there are no success stories uh, at all that we can point to about Ethan Katz. And and let's let's face it. I don't know if you. Well, of course you remember. You're covering this team. You pay attention. You're paying closer attention than I am. I mean, even in the La Russa, I remember the controversy where Lucas was like gassed and he wasn't getting pulled from the game, and he gave up the lead, and it was a big controversy because like La Russa didn't pull him, and he was working too hard. And from the start, I thought, well, then where is the pitching coach who's like his mentor buddy he's in the dugout he's not able to say either elbow tony or just run out there and say okay let's slow this thing down lucas you're all right you're gonna die what's going on the fact that lucas had to throw like i don't know somebody under the bus and yet you know like his buddy is the guy who's there to look out for him i mean and that was early in the cat's tenure so I mean, yeah that's boy. Like every giolito start though at that point because at first it was like oh he's just he's bad on mornings that's why he got mm just tormented on Patriots day. He's, he's just, he's not a morning person. I'm like, well, what, what, how do you explain 9 PM games then? Like he's bad here. He's bad in the morning. He's bad at noon. There's an issue here. But on games between five and eight on games between five and eight. (laughs) Yeah. 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 He's aces. Um, uh, all right. Well, I'll um, I'll uh, I'll grieve uh, now, and it I think touches on a little bit of what uh, Father Soxivus started off here. So we went from some real specifics, all of us training pitchforks, surprisingly, at Ethan Katz, uh, to to just a, a broader take, which can either lead to more discussion, or you can all just pat me on the head and say, okay. Okay, old fella, uh, let's talk about something else. Uh, but to me, it's and it's not something that I haven't talked about probably in many podcasts stretching back for some time, but it really is a culture issue to me. It's the notion that they're, it's, it, well, it's impossible to be proud of this team. It's not hard to be. It's impossible at this point to be proud of the team. Uh, and it's it's it really comes down to the fact that 
they've gone out of their way to, you know, as I think Tommy explained up top, uh, to, to alienate, to drive fans who have been fans longer than I have, or much younger than, you know, uh, I am uh, away from the team. Uh, now they are really a butt of a joke in a way that, you know, you can make an argument that that's you know, always been the case. And we can like try to slide into like some kind of lovable loser thing. That's not what the White Sox were about. They're a competitive team that did more good overall, including off the field. Even when in times where on the field was a little rough, uh, those downturns didn't seem to be too sustained. Uh, there weren't a lot of highlights, but there was general sense of competitiveness, pride, history that really seems to be getting, I don't know, actively scrubbed at this point. I mean, when the team's so bad, you know, which has been the balance of the century and certainly in the Han era, uh, the Han now what we call, I guess, Han plus era, uh, it just leaves you with a feeling that, I mean, really makes you seriously reconsider your fandom. And, and I hate saying that working on writing for, uh, helping run a, a site dedicated to this one team, not just baseball, this one team, but you got to be honest and, and say, you know, look, take a hard look in the mirror and realize if I wasn't doing this, I would not, I would not in all likelihood, not even be a White Sox fan. You can't take it out of me. It is in the blood, but in terms of dormancy, in terms of just letting it lie and, and maybe die. Yeah, probably. This team on several levels, including on the field, which is really ultimately, I suppose, what is the most important thing, not only seems to not care, not execute, uh, making things worse, I keep saying, is the bottom, have we reached the bottom? I am in, in no way convinced we've even reached the bottom in terms of the embarrassment on and off the field. On the field, it's going to be brutal. Nothing we've seen so far would cause me to feel like this isn't going to be a, a record-breaking 107 losses. I think Crystal just passed me last podcast and she's the 117 or whatever it is. So, you know, I might not even be the high, the low, low high person in terms of losses for the season. Nothing's going to change that's going to make us feel too much more encouraged. And you can say, well, they can't be as bad. Well, all right, let's all just take a breath and watch them be as bad uh, or worse. But on the field is only part of it. Off the field has just been it's it's this 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 cringe on a, on a I don't know every other week every other day it seems like sometimes basis that is a new wrinkle to all of this that I don't know it just makes me sad it makes me question I mean honestly it makes me question what I'm doing uh doing here and if not for you know all of you wonderful people and our 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 massive uh, uh viewing and listening audience uh you know what would the point be I mean it would be very easy hanging up so you know, that's that's rambling and vague. I know it's at the heart of a lot, what maybe all of us are feeling, you know, on this podcast and otherwise. But, um, you know, it's just this feeling of, of sad and almost like defeat. The White Sox, <laughs> they have broken me as a fan. And, uh, you know, I sh maybe I should be stronger than that. But, you know, I'll admit I'm not. And, you know, frankly, I don't care enough about the White Sox to just like hang on for dear life to the coattails of, you know, I don't know, Jerry Reinsdorf or... Uh, you know, the, the, the ghost of Don Cooper. So uh, that's my broad grievance. And, you know, this can be, you know, open discussion time. Or if you want to take another run at other things that you just barely cut as your grievance, you know, let them out now because this is the grievance podcast and we're we're just barely a half hour in. Oh, I can I can go on for days and days with this team. Um, first thing first, you said something about being lovable losers. Fuck that. Mm -hmm. Ain't no lovable losers. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. Like, I might not hate mm -hmm. the Cubs, 
But there's no such thing about love about mm-hmm. lovable being losers. Like, no, being losers means you're losers. You shouldn't love losers because they they're fun and all that bullshit. Like, it's been, whenever you call a team a fun team, if you call a team a fun team, they're probably gonna suck. Second of all, as Jackie said, and me and Jackie were both there for it. Do it, Dante. Come we on. We almost got shot. There was a shooting at the stadium. <laughs> we didn't even get to see Vanilla Ice. Yep. Like. This team doesn't even know how to do security well enough. And trust me, they ain't the only team in baseball because I've been to a few stadiums now. Security is a joke across stadiums. And, like, I'll never be the pro police person because, I mean, look at me. But Jesus Christ, protect your your fan base. You said, you know, the off the field ain't too good. You can barely get off the field with how close things are happening to them. Yeah. Like, this team is unwatchable on the field. I've reached the point where if I wasn't covering them or they weren't playing a team with players that I liked, I wasn't watching White Sox games. Like, this team is irrelevant and, like, there's good irrelevant teams. There are good irrelevant teams. We call them the Milwaukee Brewers. A team that, or, you know, the Cardinals most of the time. Teams that are going to be good, but they probably won't end up you know doing anything major hell the diamondbacks were one of those teams that were irrelevant until they went on a run and became relevant yeah and and and, and, and dante let's let me let the ghost of jackie Kressel cut in here i mean let's not overlook what is a pretty significant point in the vanilla ice game i mean i, I remember you and jackie both were like gee hey there was no kind of well, this sucks there's no concert yeah there was a shooting at the park and they continued the game we didn't know what happened until we left out the park. Like, at what point, like, I went back to the stadium since because, honestly, I've been around enough shootings that, like, students don't scare me as much as some other people, which not a positive thing. But the thing is, at the end of the day, if I hear that there's a shooting at the stadium, this big stadium that's supposedly protected by police officers and security guards who are about as useful as they proved to be that night, then yeah, I'm gonna be upset that I could have been put in harm's way mm-hmm. because some idiot decided to bring a gun in or some police officer. We don't even know. Mm-hmm. As Tommy said, we don't have any more additional information. We don't know what happened. Story's it's, done. It's whatever over. happened, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Like, and honestly, I reached the point of being like, I still wish I got the vanilla ice and tone low concert at least. <laughs> <laughs> they valued they valued Vanilla Ice's life way more than any fan. <laughs> well, now you, you get shot. Who cares? But we got Vanilla Ice even tweeted about afterwards. Ice I think. Yeah. Like, and like, I was born in 1996. I went to a baseball game to see Vanilla Ice more than I went to see the 2023 White Sox. Does that not show? That's really a whole other podcast, Dante. Like, but and, you know, that's again, where respect. I think underscores the whole thing is that, yeah. Like, like I think that shows just how horrible of a franchise this team has become. Because as Brett said in the past, it wasn't like this. I can remember better times, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my memories don't go as far back as anybody else on this pod. Mm-hmm. But like I can remember the good times of at least the White Sox are watchable. Chris Sale was my favorite player in baseball. Jose Abreu was also my favorite player in baseball, and Tim Madison is my favorite player ever. And there was fun times, at least. Like, yeah, they weren't good, but they was a irrelevant team that at least could provide some type of value. 
from the entertainment standpoint and for being one of the more highly regarded franchises in terms of how they like just do things off the field. And that just has seemingly died. And it's mm-hmm. sad to see about my one of my favorite teams, probably my favorite sports team until this year. And also, Brooks Boy can go fuck himself about the Jason Bonetti thing. Because at the end of the day, Jason Bonetti is one of the best in the game. And to disrespect somebody like that, him and Jerry, to disrespect somebody like that is one of those things that makes me say, I'm not a White Sox fan as much as I am a dude that writes about the White Sox and watches mm-hmm. their games because mm-hmm. I literally live about five miles away from the stadium. Well, while we're still on Vanilla Nice, let's just point out, it might be a small nitpick, but the White Sox cannot, the security, whatever, cannot seemingly cannot handle a crowd of more than 5,000 without taking 45 minutes to get into the ballpark. So on one end or the other, either keep you very safe because of the hassle to get in or just, you know, let's, uh, you know, let, people in maybe a little more quickly and not check every bag that's bigger than a wallet uh, because it should be either or, shouldn't it? If not both, I would think both, but at least either or. And the White Sox aren't doing either because I don't think there's any other team this year we can talk about like bullets in the park, concerts being canceled. Nobody knows anything. Vanilla Ice, who like lived through the 90s and really kind of saw a lot of stuff go down um said no screw this i'm not going out Mm -hmm. in chicago to play this white Sox game that's sad when vanilla ice is like no i'm good i don't need the money that bad keep it sorry dante sorry jack no no the white Sox, they still paid them too because they'd like to pay you things oh you know those things because you know you pay up front yeah yeah i don't think vanilla ice is 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 coming to the chicago white Sox ballpark unless the, the suitcase has already been delivered. Uh, well, Benetti's was thrown out there, but I mean, uh, other grievances, uh, you know, that uh, we I, I know there are more. I just don't like that. Like I wrote in my piece, like through all my decades of being a fan, like I never lost like hope and like that things could get better. And right now I don't, Like, I'm not going to give up on my fandom because I just can't do that. But, like, I also don't feel really hopeful that it's going to change and that things are going to get better. And that's really depressing to me because when you feel hopeless about something, like, there's only one way to go and then it's down. And so that, to me, has been one of the, I think, biggest disappointments of this season of White Sox fandom of life in this post World Series era is that there hasn't been a whole lot to be hopeful for except for that very small you don't even call it a window like the cracked door that was 2021 Um, and then how badly that all went down and that so many people that are still involved in that are still around and so that makes me sad. Melissa, people attend games with bags over their heads for far, 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 far less than what we've withstood. What what fan base is supposed to really stare into the void? We can all play this thing like the liberal loot. Oh, for God's sake. That was like that's a that's still probably, frankly, Cub fan identity. You know, it's just ridic- goofy, ridiculous. Right. And there's uh, there are other fan bases like that. Oh, yeah, we just we just can't we just can't win. I mean, it forced us all to stare into the void. What team, not just because that's not just a 101 loss season. Those do happen. And every 
basically every team goes through them. The fact that we all have to stare in the mirror and say, what are we doing? And whatever the answer is, it's not going to be like, a, you know, a 100% like, you know, huzzah, you know, for the White Sox. The idea that we have to really contemplate our fandom, what ownership, what team does it? This isn't just, whoops, you know, a couple bad breaks and the guy didn't slide or, you know, whatever. Some, some person got injured, couldn't come back and play. This is serious, serious, ugly stuff. And it's layered at this point. It's not just, I mean, we could stare into the void over what half of what's happened probably less than that and and it just keeps going which is what again makes me fear uh connecting what melissa just said that you know the the, the hopelessness the, the idea that we still haven't maybe hit bottom with this team and that's that's like daunting and frightening we haven't and it's layered but i mean the reason why my grievances just ended up pointing towards jerry reinsdorf is because he is responsible for all of this stuff that happened and you know it was it's one thing for a team to be bad because you know that happens i have never agreed with rick Hahn on how to build a roster that doesn't surprise me but you look at the attendance numbers between last year and this year and the white Sox had the biggest drop off for any team not named the oakland a's which they have that that makes sense why that's that's happening there so you're talking about a product and i'm thinking about this as an owner you're talking about a product that isn't generating revenue isn't generating interest doesn't really have all of the big market ambitions and you know lifestyle that you would generally associate with a city like chicago and I thought that was problematic enough, but now you're actively saying, oh yeah, but Nashville, I can make this happen. Like that to me, that's where I I really changed my attitude strictly towards Jerry Reinsdorf because it's bad enough to run this franchise into the ground because you're too loyal to the people that are close to you and you listen to the wrong voices that are in the room with you it's a whole different thing entirely to try to do a 1989 all over again and be like oh yeah i'm totally going to move this team to nashville wink wink like that's that's not the game to even play anymore there are 10 other teams that if they were to move would easily be in front of line before the chicago white Sox let alone Nashville's next in line for an expansion team. So it's probably not going to happen anyway, but he keeps trying to make this a story to prove a point, to try to throw some political weight around when he doesn't have any. And that is where I'm just like, he, this guy is so tone deaf to what is really available to him politically and how much power he really holds. Tommy, he just wants to give other cities plenty of time to prepare a package that's far more generous than what he's always get, already getting from already. The White Sox. That's going to take time. I mean, that's a lot of stuff. So, yeah, it's weird. I mean, 
you even give, I mean, not, not that I'm going to give someone who demolishes Comiskey Park a pass ever, but okay, he's coming off a division championship, 83, a few years later. I mean, not like not like anybody thought Comiskey Park wasn't old, and I'm sure you doctor enough reports. You can say, oh, it's going to collapse on people. We can't possibly keep playing baseball in it, even though there's an even uh, a nastier Pistroff Park uh, just uh, five miles to the north. It uh, keeps on going, even though concrete is falling uh, nearly on top of people. But now you're playing the same game a second time around, uh, it is so hollow. It's so with the hollow. same tactics. <laughs> same tactics. That's, that's, that's why they got to prepare their packages because you know. I mean, who, what other city's going to pay for you know uh, uh, you know like buy tickets from you? Yeah. You know. I was going to say it's kind of funny to me. Like I was thinking about it as Tommy was talking. Yeah, the White Sox kind of like you know they call themselves the South Siders. We've always called them the South Siders. It feels more like they call the South Siders because they're on the South Side of the city. Not because they care about the south side of the city. Like to them, the south side stops like at 55th Street at the furthest south. Like it reminds me of one of the TV shows shooting here that like claimed to be this, this, and this about Chicago, the south side of the hood, and they didn't go past 63rd. And it's like Jerry, the, that's the thing. Jerry doesn't care about the city, he just owns two teams that play in the city. And also, what happened to White? What happened to Sox Fest? Like that, we don't even have que- like we don't even like have questions of if it's happening or an announcement that's been canceled. Like which means more likely like a bad video game. It just ain't happening. Yeah, the default now is there is none, and then they're going to yeah. come out and say we're having one. You know, in you know twenty forty. And like it'll, yeah, it'll happen in twenty twenty five, and by then they'll burn all of the goodwill. I mean, what goodwill? But still. They'll burn the little bit left, the last little embers. I mean, be- Dante, uh, apologies to Ryan, but I mean, he cares, Ryan sort of cares so much about the South Side that their City Connect jerseys are printed South Side. Well, they're printed Smith Side and then they're printed South Side. So, you know, just a nitpick. Sorry, Ryan. Uh, but yeah, no, I think there's, there's at this point <laughs> under the, under the Reinsdorf uh, uh, ownership, yeah, they're South Side by, you know, <laughs> By practicality, by convenience, by accident, and not really in spirit, which you know, which is a shame. Yeah. Speaking of someone from the very, 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 very far south side at this point. Yeah, like I'm an Inglewood kid, and I ain't never heard of anything happening with the White Sox in Inglewood. I've heard the bear, I mean the Bulls and Bears. Like I've seen the Bulls and Bears do things over here. The only person this point. One of the only people that you'll ever see on the south side of Chicago representing the White Sox is Tim Madison. And I'm pretty sure that he was disliked for that too. Because people he was. He's with the wrong crowd. Sure. He's doing this, he's doing that. Meanwhile, we have redacted being well, redacted and actually being a horrible human being. Yeah. Like the amount of fans I saw turn on Tim and Yoan and Eloy and so many players. They turned on Luis Robert before he turned into MVP level player again. Like the fickleness of these fans, it's just it's hilarious to me. Fickleness of the fans and the lack of protection for players, like we've talked about throughout this entire thing. The fact that the White Sox just, if it's time to throw someone under a bus, they're gonna throw you under it 
go over you at least four times, maybe three times, three times to represent the rings, and make sure you're dead. <laughs> Didn't finish him off. <laughs> Throw it in reverse. In a few years, if um, the unthinkable happens and a certain center fielder isn't in Chicago, just know we warned you. Yeah, but we'll have Colson Montgomery, Dante. It'll all be fine. <laughs> And don't worry, if a certain shortstop isn't in Chicago in about seven years, we warned you. Yeah. Well, we've, we've sort of reached the cannibalism state of uh, the grievances, where now we're, we're, we're turning on our own. But listen, hey, let, Southside Zags is not afraid to call out our fellow fans for crying out loud. You know, stand up and be counted. Um, have a backbone. Call out ownership the way we try to. Yes, Tom. No, I was just going to say it is interesting, Dante, because Tim Anderson was the only player that I can remember in recent history that actively moved to Chicago. Yeah. Like, I I know there are players that have had homes here, but he's the only one that actively moved to Chicago. And in I I know the White Sox have their um, their ACE program that does very well, but I I still find it fascinating that in all of their draft picks, they have never picked anybody out of that amateur city elite program. Yeah, and it's also funny because like Ed Howard should have been a White Sox draft. That's, That's who I'm thinking of in particular. Yeah, that was a slam dunk, and they let the Cubs pick him up. Like, what are we doing here? And I almost started my part of my grievances with. Why the fuck are we even writing grievances about the White Sox? They they don't matter. In the grand scheme of baseball things, they do not matter right now, which I hate saying, but it's true. Prove me wrong, Jerry and crew. Yeah, and it's come up, Dante, where it's like, you know, you I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've got plenty of cracks in on the Cubs. I think a couple of you have maybe in this podcast as well. Let's face it, their faces are just made for it. But you know, how you can't you can't rant too much. I I, I think as outline, I mean, the minute there's pushback, okay, <laughs> you gotta stand out. In the past, not necessarily, you can continue having that fight and debate. Uh, and that goes for probably any other fan uh, fan base out there. At this point, we pretty much have to stand down and that's not a great position to be in. I mean, you want to be able to flex a little bit, you want to be able to point to something you feel good about and Man, you know, the center fielder aside, and even that, that's tenuous because, you know, you got 100 and what, 120 games, 130 games last year. Come on, what's the odds uh, in 2024? So, I mean, like you just said, Dante, prove us wrong. Gets win executive year. I'm rooting for you. I just I don't mean, know what ain't happening, but, I mean, we do want good things. It's just at this point, what are the odds? We have so many seats at the tables, though. <laughs> So, and we're open yeah. for business, so yeah. we are I can't the wait to business. So I can't wait for whatever Getz's phrase ends up being, because I know it's going to be something equally awful. Mm-hmm. Well, we almost table. had Bryce Harper. Don't worry, almost. Yeah. We we're this close. Someone outbid yeah. us by a dollar. We, we had his, you know, rafters up in the United Center. And a, and a correction, I, I don't mean to call him that, a correction to what Crystal said. We have plenty of seats at the table in Atlanta, it seems very clear. Uh, anywhere else, I'm not quite sure. Uh, Gats or, as Jackie, again, the ghost of Jackie Crystal points out, Getsy, Getsy just lingering at the dumpster uh, outside the front offices at Atlanta. Anybody gets thrown in, say, hey, 
you want to come work for the White Sox? I'm, I'm guessing there are a few others who said, no, not really. Actually, no, not really. Max Stassi's like, oh, I didn't play last year. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, why I mean, not? it's like they're perpetually stuck at the children's table every Oh, God, yes. Yes, they are. Oh, yeah. God, yes. I mean, that children's table's come up, I think, probably every year we've mentioned being at the table. And and sure, I mean, to be honest, Getsy looks like he, he he might actually, you know, that might actually be his spot at the table. It does. It seems perhaps right. But, you know, Han has 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 well earned that spot at the, at the children's table. And yeah, of course, uh, Getsy is going to assume that that seat. It's not even cold yet. They because... touch the ground. They're just flailing around at the kids. table. <laughs> Quit kicking me, Getsy. Finish so who's the at the table is the question. What's up? Who's at the table with him? Because <laughs> he's not the only kid GM. The, the Pirates, whoever the Pirates yeah. GM is right now. Like the Pirates, the, the, A's, the A's don't even count really. The A's aren't even at a table. Yeah, like the A's are currently <laughs> moving to find the table right now. My real, my actual Maybe. question is... You know, child seat at the table. How long does it take until Getsy does a recon? Like you said, like has a quote, not just has a quote, but how long until he gets the confidence to be like, you know, you guys are going to go anywhere though. We saw that happen with the um, I want to say Cincinnati um, ownership group this year. Oh yeah, like where are you gonna go? Yeah, the way you gonna thing? go? Yeah. Because that's what it feels like the point we've reached with the White Sox. And the only reason they're getting worse with the Reds this year was because they started doing halfway decent. I think that slip's still coming, Dante. I mean, I think it's been uh, unspoken. It's been between the lines now. It seems like for the bulk of the rebuild, I won't even say the whole rebuild, but it's been, I'd say it's been years that that's been pretty much the unwritten, the invisible ink uh, mission statement of White Sox. But the slip, it's only a matter of time, especially if Jerry keeps parading himself out. Uh, that slip's coming because it is, you know, and what they don't say or what they actually do say, that, that message is pretty much out there. Yeah, they, yeah. they're not. You're gonna, go, you're gonna go to the Cubs? Yeah, come on. They're not shy about it, so no. it, it's just amazing. No, I always think about the Logan Roy quote from Succession when I think about the White Sox, where he says, "I love you, but you are not serious people." That sums up. Yes. All of my feelings on this team. Yeah. It's not a serious franchise. No. I mean, when you look at the number of playoff appearances, like forget even World Series appearances and titles, just like number of playoff appearances in the last 10, 20 years compared to every other franchise in baseball, it's embarrassing. It really is. Yeah, when you're looking up at the Cubs, what, what else do I need? I don't need to finish that statement. That's embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but our all-time, you know, record might be better than this, that, or the other team. And that's and that is something. But yeah, come on, finish the job. And you can say, well, in you know, 2006 they would have been in the playoffs, in 2000 you know, whatever. That's great, but they weren't. So you know, sorry. There was a time when there were two playoff teams. You know, so okay. And the Sox finished second plenty of times. You know, they could never get out of the shadow of the Yankees. Okay, fine. Well, they they make it. You know, they didn't make it. When they got there, they didn't win it. So historical grievances. Yeah, it's it's, it's the whole it's the panoply of grievances here. On the airing of grievances, um, 
Well, uh, I guess this is time to transition. Oh my God, let's see if I can pull off the one production uh, move that I have. Thank you, Tommy, for flashing a few comments during the course of things, but we still do have Saxivist to come. It, I guess, won't be as grim as the grievances. Oh, I can't promise that as the year no, gets- No, it will be. <laughs> okay, all right. Battle Royale right now. <laughs> Disabuse yourself of the notion it's gonna get any sunnier. It's just gonna get, uh, as the days get shorter, and uh, as a seasonal affective disorder kicks in on everyone, uh, it is only going to get uglier as a week from today, oh, live or otherwise, who knows? You know, we'll see. Uh, we're going to do feats of strength. Um, and that is, uh, I think, somehow, well, Tommy, tell us what that's going to be. Um, so clearly, Guts hates this team. So <laughs> we all know that pretty much anyone that's left is going to be sold for scraps baseballs players to be named later cash considerations take your pick they will all be going so my my question the challenge of the feats of strength is who survives this magical getsian purge that we're currently witnessing um because you know dylan c supposedly still has a market that seems to be dwindling but that's a whole nother conversation and podcast there's got to be somebody left. Who's it going to be? Or is it going to be Mike Soroka? That's like our opening day starter. And Luis Robert isn't even here anymore because he got traded to the Blue Jays because they're so disheveled from losing out on Otani. We may have to dig into the system. I mean, that, that's might. fair game yeah. because there's really, there's like what three guys you can maybe mention. On Is it just Oscar today? Colas who's system? still like inappropriately hitting on people on Instagram and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Fed by, that's all fed that's by redacted. Oh Lord. God. Oh, all right. Let's not ever mention the brackets, the bracketed one again on podcasts uh, if we can. Uh, and then uh, boy, you get, you double your money. That subscription price you're paying, which I believe, let's see, let me check. Yes, it's zero. Uh, you get to double your money with a December 22nd podcast right before Christmas, a special present for you under the tree. And that is going to be the Soxivus Miracles. We've done it in the past and we'll do it again this year. Uh, hey, Father Soxivus, lay that on us. What's that going to be? There has to be a silver lining in all of this. <laughs> Whether it's a Vanilla Ice concert that you don't get to see. It actually plays. It's Liam making his way to the mound, only to be injured for the rest of eternity. There's going to be that moment that makes you feel good. Hmm. What is it going to be this upcoming year? It's clearly Andrew Benatendi hitting six home runs. Oh my God, yes. Thrilling. Ooh. Thrilling. 1.8 more this year. Uh, yeah, okay, yeah, start <laughs> focusing on it now because Lord knows that is going to be a really challenging one to put down. You may want to just like, scratch notes right after this podcast. And that goes for any of you listening, reading, whatever. We're going to need suggestions because Lord knows how many miracles there could possibly be coming out of the 2024 Chicago White Sox who are destined to lose somewhere, somewhere, uh, I don't know, as much as 117, according to one of us here. And oh, maybe just as few as like, I don't know, 92, according to uh, some of us here. God, that could be the miracle. (laughs) Is that not sick? We've (laughs) chuckled about it on a podcast in the past. And that is we're talking about an improvement of the season being just like 90 losses. Uh, but that's where we're at. When you have 101, that's 11 game 
what are we doing? And I'm, I'm sorry, I have to ask all of you watching, listening, reading, what are we doing? Oh, please let us know. Give me some direction so that I can fire up the podcast machine in a week and actually do this again as uh, we contemplate uh, feats of strength. Um, I guess on behalf of Chris O'Keefe donning some excellent socks wear and a brand new fresh happening sleeve, uh, Melissa Sage Bolenbach, who I do not think has graced us with a, uh, a Freddie cameo, and for that matter, no Willow cameo, I don't think either. So I do not know what's going on. The respect for you the holidays and Soxibus, uh is extraordinary, but uh, rocking the super, super cool, I don't know, what is that, uh, Socks warm-up jacket, circa 80s, digging it, uh, and Christmas tree. Dante Jones channeling pulp, uh, uh, a merry Pulp Fiction. A happy Pulp Fiction to all of you out there. And I'm going to just say it because I have to. You're expecting me to. Father Socks of himself, rocking in spirit, if not literally, his Chet Lemon jersey. God bless you for that. That's my Christmas present right there. And then there's me. Well, on behalf of all of my friends here on the panel, and of course, let's not forget the ghost of Jackie Crestel. Maybe she will join us. Maybe she will materialize in some sort of Christmas carol uh, for one of these final two podcasts. Thank you for all of your input, Jackie. Uh, you get full credit for, for having attended this class. You have earned your grade this time around, even though you have not appeared on the podcast with us. Best of Jackie. Oh, your face. Be, be, please. Uh, uh, I have a Jackie and, and, and Chico as well. Uh, okay, well, uh, that's it for our live broadcast. We have crossed an hour. Uh, somehow, I do not know how we kept it so short to be just a little bit more than an hour and change. I guess it's just our brevity or just sheer fatigue about this team called the Chicago White Sox. Uh, I'm Brett Valentini hosting these podcasts. We'll be back with Sox Pop 167 in a week. We are going to be talking about feats of strength. Choose your fighter. And let's see how, how they do at the kids' table. Uh, this time around, uh, pushing Getsy off of his, out of his high chair. Uh, okay, we'll be back in a week. Thanks everybody for watching, participating. Uh, Crystal, and Melissa, Dante, and Tommy for appearing, as well as the Ghost of Jackie Crystal. We will be back sometime soon. Yes, it'll be in a week, live or otherwise. We'll be back, continuing uh, the celebration of the socks of a season. Thanks all, and catch you in a week. Oh.